Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to We RSC's Inside the Trojans Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion with We RSC columnists, staff writers, and editorial board. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle, and then give you the latest USC football news. First, let's meet today's panel, Mark Culkin, We RSC columnist who writes the Monday morass, yay or nay, Sunday takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball practice reports. Chris Arledge, former William Jewell College defensive back and team captain, and we RSC columnist who writes the popular column Musings with Arledge. Eric McKenney, publisher and editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, and Greg Katz, that's me, your host and moderator of Inside the Trojan Subtle, and a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes the obvious and not-so-obvious and IMHO Sunday. Before we kick off this edition of Inside the Trojan Huddle, here is the latest USC football news. On Sunday, the Trojans got a pair of commitments. First, on the transfer front, former starting safety for the Ohio State Buckeyes, Bryson Shaw, through his father's announcement on social media, let it be known that his son would be wearing cardinal and gold in 2022. Shaw, a foot, 195 pounder, uh, started in 12 games last season for Ohio State. The Trojans' second commit on Sunday came from high school the ranks as four-star Wichita Falls, Texas running back Marion Peterson made his announcement for the Trojans' class of 2023. Peterson, a six-foot-one, 182-pounder, who was considered one of the top 60 players in Texas and attended the USC Saturday's USC spring football game, also had offers from Alabama, Texas, and Baylor. And speaking of Saturday, the Trojans concluded spring practice with a spring game in the Coliseum with the offense defeating the defense 34-30 before an announced record turnout of 33,427. Stay tuned to the first and second quarters of Inside the Trojans Huddle for details and analysis. Also, the Trojans also saw a large group of impressive recruits at the spring game, which also included five-star tight end Deuce Robinson from Phoenix, Arizona, along with four-star talents in attendance which included DeAndre Moore, wide receiver from Los Alamitos, California, corners Braxton Myers from Coppell, Texas, Mika Tease from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Dalen Austin from Long Beach, California, Deshaun Fosto Ramos from Bellflower, California, running backs, Quinton Joyner from Manor, Texas, and as the aforementioned Marion Peterson from Wichita Falls, Texas, and Roderick Robinson from San Diego. For the record, five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson did not attend the spring game due to a previous seven-on-seven seven passing tournament commitment in Las Vegas. And class of 2004 talents uh, present were corner Marcellus Williams from Bellflower, California, wide receiver Jason Robinson from Long Beach, offensive tackle DeAndre Carter from Santa Ana, California, and athlete Aaron Butler from Calabasas, California. Last Tuesday, the Trojans received a class of 2023 commitment from the aforementioned Quinton Joyner, the four-star running back from Manor, Texas. Joyner's 5'10", 190, had offers from, among others, Oregon, Houston, Penn State, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. Joyner runs a sub-11 flat 100 meters. And uh, on a, another transfer note, former USC safety Chase Williams is transferred to San Jose State. And for all of you that don't care about the Rice Owls, the Trojans 2022 home opener in the Coliseum on September 3rd. They held their spring game last weekend and house quarterback TJ McMahon threw for 92 yards and a touchdown and added a 50 yard 
five-yard rushing touchdown to lead the blue offense to a 30-12 win over the gray defense in Rice Stadium. McMahon was also 7-12 through the air. And finally, friends, we are SC's Inside the Trojan Huddle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership. We appreciate and encourage uh, those of you watching on site, like YouTube, to click the red subscriber and like buttons. It's greatly appreciated, and it is free. All right, let's get into it. Spring game. It's time for the opening kickoff and our first quarter question panel. What was your overall spring game impressions of the USC offense on Saturday? Who stood out? What and what positions stood out as well? We'll start off as always with our leadoff hitter, Mark Culkin. Your thoughts on the offense and anyone in particular? Yeah, you know, for a game plan that was pretty plain Jane vanilla, it tasted great. Uh, you know, the way the offense, it just looked different. For as, as vanilla as the play calling was, to watch a screen, a screen pass be completed in one motion, um, not telegraphing it, that, you know, just those little subtle differences to not have one single penalty called on the offense, offensive line, illegal procedure, holding. Um, obviously, Caleb Williams and Mario Williams have a great, you know, have great chemistry working together. That was really evident. The red zone, um, they were scoring touchdowns instead of kicking field goals. And I guess if I want to highlight a particular player, um, you know, the wide receivers did really well, but Kyron Ware Hudson just, it's kind of like he had the highlight plays all day long. You know, Kyle Ford had a great, you know, 48-yard touchdown that Eric pointed out to me is always in the same corner of the end zone uh, on the, what is it, the east end of the field. Um, but Kyron was just, you know, he was catching everything. He was high pointing the ball on the sideline. He was, you know, bullying defenders on the sideline, knocking him over. He kind of had that BMW sta standing over Latrell McCutcheon at one point. I mean, there's a, there's a new attitude on the offense and we saw a running game. So um, it just looked different and it looked good. They scored 34 points in 30 minutes of clock time. That's all you need to know. So more or less, you were pleased by what you saw. I see some positives. Okay. Well, uh, on that positive note, we'll turn it over to Chris Arledge for perhaps a counter view or maybe a positive view. So Arledge, what did you think? I thought it was great. And I'll tell you why I thought it was great. Because we spent the last how many years? Six years, eight years, just watching a parade of, of stupidity. I mean, horrible mistakes, guys who can't get lined up, back-breaking penalties. I mean, over and over and over again, even in the games that USC would win, you would have that over and over again. Guys can't line up right. Um, uh, ridiculous play calls. I mean, it ran the game. And the people who care enough about USC football to pay attention to this show, you already know what I'm talking about. Every week looked like a disaster. Even the successful weeks looked horrible. That actually looked like a football team. Guys got lined up. They didn't fall start. They didn't miss assignments. They didn't hold. They actually knew what they were doing, and they executed. Now, we'll talk a little bit about the defense in a bit. Uh, the offense had its way with the defense for the most part, um, and that could concern us. I'm not sure that it does. That offense is going to do that to a lot of people. Uh, Lincoln Riley is a wizard of an offensive coach. He is. He's one of the top two or three offensive coaches in the country. 
Caleb Williams is everything people thought he might be. The kid is spectacular, and he's only going to get better as he gets more experience. Um, and he's surrounded by a lot of good football players. Uh, the offensive line looked physical. Um, yeah, it was a good day. And uh, there were a couple of things that I wondered about. Um, there was um, at least one, maybe both of Thule's plays where he, uh, where, he, where he got a tackle for loss. Uh, I was a little bit curious what the offense was doing because they were running the counter play. They were pulling guys. Thule chases after the, the pulling uh, alignment and, and tackles the ball carrier in the backfield. I don't know whether or not it was supposed to be the bootleg that keeps Thule honest or whether someone else was supposed to be there, maybe the H-back to block him. So there were a couple of minor things where you look at it and say that play didn't look right. But, geez, I'm not going to complain about it because – uh, USC actually has a real football coach and they have players who know what they're doing offensively now. And I've been begging for that for years. So no, I'm not going to complain, at least not about this. Uh, that was good. Eric, what were your thoughts on it? Would you, what did you see? You have anything to, uh, pick at, or was it all, uh, roses and, uh, rainbows? Well, there, there's no point to really, I think, get into, Oh, here were problems, and I had problems because it's not finished yet. You know, you, you don't go in when an artist is working. You don't go a quarter of the way through or halfway through and try to pick apart all, all the things that that look wrong right now. There's still plenty of time to fix it. So, so I think at this point, what Mark and what Chris have said, you you take a lot of that. You take a lot of the positives, and for me, it was everybody looks like they're speaking the same language on offense right now. Like it's it's fluid from the time the play comes in to where the quarterback is kind of lining guys up, telling them, you know, what, what's going on, uh, getting lined up, getting the snap, everybody moving kind of in, in one, you know, motion to get that going. And, and then we saw plays, you know, you, you see the GT counter that you're going to run that, that Lincoln Riley kind of made famous at Oklahoma. You, you get the feeling that this team can run that and they are going to run that uh, the, the run game, was there you can feel like they they are going to take pride in being able to do that you had some of these you know the the play where the quarterback kind of kind of half rolls out the running back leaks out and you dump it over to the running back and he's got 20 yards to to run I mean plays like that where they're specifically designed we're going to get this guy open and it's going to work every time it's been it's been how many years where USC lines up for a third and three and it's just it's it's nail biting it's who knows what's going to happen here and so that was kind of the first taste of an offense where it looks like, yeah, we can just go get that. Um, Caleb Williams jumps out immediately, took about three throws uh, to, to sign off on him and, and go all in on, on Caleb Williams. And, and we've seen kind of the arm talent and stuff, all, all of that uh, during practices and, and looking back at his time at Oklahoma last year. But, but I'm going to, I'm going to talk just running game, running backs, those, those three running backs, I think that that's, for USC fans, there's a lot of years where you just sort of throw out, oh, it's the best whatever in the conference. And that's because going back 20 years ago, yeah, you, you did have a lot of that. And then it just kind of carried and you kept using that, even though maybe it wasn't always true over the last decade. This, this group of running backs is is very good. And, and what I like about them is that every it feels like every motion they make, every movement is, is designed to pick up yards. And these are not three big backs, but they will finish contact and they will finish on the, the right side of the tackler every single time they get hit. And, and that stood out. It wasn't, it wasn't a massive day. There, there weren't 25 yard runs, 30 yard runs, but 
Uh, they put their head down and they, they picked up all the yards that they could every time they touched the ball. I think that's a good sign, especially for an offense that really has to start kind of throwing its weight around and, and showing teams that, yeah, we're, we're going to pick up four yards whenever we touch the ball and, and we're going to hit some 10, 12, 15, 20 yard runs uh, when, you know, as often as we can. So for me, that, that was kind of the biggest thing was, you know, we didn't see a ton of run game in terms of just, just big chunks and all that, but I liked how often they went to it. I liked what it looked like. And again, this is still very early in the process of getting that to, to where you want it to be sort of in, in the finished stages when Stanford comes up, when Utah comes up, when, when you get to some of those teams. Well, I think you hit on all three of you hit on the great points. Uh, my perspective was I was so excited on the first run play. I couldn't contain myself. Uh, it was so intense to me that I had to actually make sure I had a photo of both the off tackle and the off guard pulling on the uh, famous counter uh, tray, so to speak, that uh, Lincoln Riley runs and put it in Sunday's IMHO column. Uh, it really, really reinforced what I think everybody knows. Uh, but for me, I was so frustrated with the offense the last three, four, five years that to see a normal offense running with guys pulling and guys trapping and balance play and an H back uh, just alerted me just how horrible and how hideous we've all had to suffer watching uh, what was in place the last uh, four or five years. It was, it, you knew what it was going to look like. You knew there's going to be a big difference, but what I liked was they were organized. There was no penalties. Love the H back concept that we were doing it. One time I saw a play action pass, which gee, that was really a creation, wasn't it? And I actually saw uh, the H back, uh, I think it was Epps or Jude Wolf uh, come around and, and, and take care of a, a corner that was coming in. Uh, it was just absolutely just scheme wise. I don't think, I don't think SC fans are gonna have to worry about the scheme. Let's put it this way. You're not going to be distracted by saying, do they ever call this? Do they ever call that? Uh, even a draw they were doing. I mean, it was, it was invigorating to me. Uh, Caleb Williams, my only regret really is that he can't be here for three years instead of uh, probably two. Uh, and Hey, look at Miller Moss look really, really advanced. Now I was, I was happy for him. I'm happy for the offense. You know, the way Caleb actually went out of the pocket a couple of times. And, and I'm going to give a lot of credit to uh, Lincoln Riley. He said it wouldn't be a game of tag, and it wasn't. You know, it wasn't one of these, you know, what do they like to use the word? Thumping or bumping or, you know, uh, we, we touch you, but you don't, we can't give you a big hit. Thud. Thud. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, wow, this was really worth watching. It wasn't like, he kind of wanted more, but it was enough. And that to me on offense was great. I think uh, Hudson was uh, a great, uh, had a great game. Uh, I was really happy for John Jackson, the third. Yeah. I mean, John Jackson, the third, I know why people kept saying, well, he's a throw in. He's a possession. We said, the guy is good. He knows football. Now is, is he Mario Williams? No, because he doesn't have that speed. But I thought that all the guys on that were receivers, they can play and they can, they have a specialty to them and they're going to get in there. Now, as far as the running backs, I did want to say that Darwin Barlow to me, he, he really exhibited the potential he came out of high school with. And we all know that coach uh, McDonald, the coaches, the running backs knew of him uh, coming out of high school. And I, I really do believe that they're going to be able to use three running backs, uh, 
without them falling over each other. And uh, I thought it was a really good sign. So a great day for the offense. Yeah, they, they got stopped a couple of times. You know, the defense rose to the occasion. But, you know, honestly, football is a four-quarter game, not, not two 15-minute uh, halves. And uh, I'm sure the adjustment will be there. But uh, I don't know how you couldn't feel good about it watching it. I mean, it was just that impressive. So kudos to the credibility department. Riley said what he said during uh, the limited interviews that he would have during the week about what he wanted to talk about. I thought his credibility was, was sky high in things he was saying, and that's a good sign. Believability is really important. Now, let's turn the page here. Let's get to the second quarter. Uh, basically the same question. What was your overall spring game impressions of the USC defense on Saturday? Who, who stood out? what position groups did as well. Eric, you want to start us off on this one? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, do, do I say, can I say no? No. Uh, well, of course you can't say no, but I'm trying to be polite about it. He said no. Eric's deferring <laughs> to Chris. So so the defense... Uh, no, let's not it, go to Chris just yet. Let's let him save, save up a little bit for the uh, balance of the show. Go ahead, Eric. It, it didn't start out great. What I, If I'm throwing positives out for the defense, they fought back and, and did a really good job. Caleb Williams came out absolutely on fire those first two possessions, and then the defense re really got, got to him, uh, flushed him out a little bit, incompletions, drive stalled, uh, didn't score, defense didn't score any points in that first 15 minutes and then started to get some three and outs there. So I, I like the fight. I like that they stayed in it and, and kept going. I don't, I just don't think they have enough guys yet to be the kind of defense that you want a USC defense to be. Tuli Tupelotu, he stands out up front. When you watch the, the playoff, right? When you watch these Georgia playing Alabama and when Ohio State's there and, and all that, Tuli's not, he's not an average guy. He's a great player, but you've got three of them. You've, you've got two, you've got three, you've got four across the front. And, and I think that's what, that's where USC needs to, to go. That, that kind of collection of talent in that front seven, it's not shifting the line of scrimmage back. It, it's not pushing into the backfield yet quite like Alex Grinch is going to want from his defense. There, there were tackles for loss and they've got enough talent to be able to make some of those plays. There's no, I, don't, I don't think there's enough like dominant size, speed, skill across that front seven yet where you're doing that. We saw a few hiccups in the, in the secondary as well. Um, you, you know, the offense is going to love the 48 yard touchdown pass. The defense is going to absolutely hate that. There were a couple one-on-one -on -one things where, where the wide receivers, uh, got the best of the, of the defense again, not, not a complete defense yet in terms of, I think maybe some of the impact guys that we might end up seeing, uh, when the game comes, Avian Alford didn't play. Makai Blackman had been drawing rave reviews all spring. He didn't play, uh, at corner with an injury. So, you were out a couple guys. I still think it's not something where you're saying, hey, this defense has no hope and, and is complete trash. Uh, again, I, I liked the fight and I liked the physicality that, that they really did attempt to play with up front. So, again, I, I'm going to take some positives from it and also some notes that, yeah, that there's some work to do, uh, I think, on that side more than than the offense. OK, Mark, what do you think? What was your assessment? Um yeah, I'm pretty much going to echo what Eric said. You know, they start off a little slow, but, you know, you're, when you've got your first team quarterback and first team wide receiver going against maybe the second team cornerback, um, advantage offense. I mean, those first two touchdowns, 
the defender never got his head around. The ball was in the receiver's hands before the defender even knew the ball was thrown. So I don't know how much you want to fault the defense. Um, but they were going against two pretty good guys on those first two drives. Uh, you know, Caleb was what, seven for seven, his first two drives. I think he finished the game what, 10 for 12. So that's kind of good. Um, but since we're talking about the defense, you know, one of the big concerns was that front seven. Uh, I thought the defensive line really accounted for themselves fairly well, uh, considering that, you know, there's talk going around that this might be one of the top five offensive lines in the country this year. So if that's the case, um, you know, I, I think what we saw from Tyrone Tulaney, uh, who's still learning the game, what we know we're going to get from Thule, uh, you know, Nick Figueroa is going to always bring it. But then we saw a little bit of a glimpse of Solo learning his new position. Um, so that, you know, there's some hope there. You know, Eric talked about the physicality. You know, there were some, there wasn't, they weren't playing tag. There was two really hard tackles that caught my attention. One, uh, Thule, and I think Brandon had the other one where he almost, I think he body slammed Travis Guy to the ground. And I even asked Travis, I go, you know, does he know that you're, you guys are wearing the same uniform now? Um, so, I think the defensive line maybe get another one, two guys through the portal just for numbers to help supplement supplement the depth. Um, I think we're gonna be okay there. I, I saw enough that if you know the linebackers can get their game in order and kind of catch up, because they're number-wise, they are you can't you can't fit anything between my finger and thumb. They're 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 that thin. On Thursday before the spring game. Coach Manning had two guys in his group in the position practicing. That's how thin they are right now. So I think we saw enough. They, they accounted well towards the, I guess, the second half of the game. Um, they were forcing field goals. I mean, Alex Stadhouse booted a 55-yarder with room to spare. Dennis Lynch, you know, put his in from, what was that, 30-something yards. So, yeah, you know, it was a good day for both sides. Obviously, the offense is ahead. The defense showed me enough that once the numbers are there and, you know, they're healthy, um, maybe they'll, they'll show better uh, in a fall camp scrimmage. Chris, you're a defensive guy. What was your assessment of the, uh, the display we saw on Saturday? Yeah, I like that the guys played hard. I mean, they, they, they played hard. They played physical. Uh, they were clearly giving a, a great effort mm -hmm. that you would expect that guys would give a great effort, but uh, we saw the defense most of the year last year, not giving a great effort. I mean, there were guys who did. Uh, you know, Thule played hard consistently and Kanai Moaga wasn't always great, but he always played hard. And there were other guys that did, but you had a lot of, that, that was a defense that didn't look like it was playing hard most of the time. And so Saturday we saw that. The truth is the roster offensively is a lot better than the roster defensively. We all know that. Um, the roster offensively is good enough that they're going to light up the scoreboard most every week. I'm willing to bet that that offense is going to score 40 points a game. That's a, that's a really good offense and a really good system and a really good play caller. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to march up and down the field on lots of people. And so I'm not, I'm not necessarily troubled that the defense struggled with that because I think that at best this is going to be an average defense uh, with the talent they have. And, you know, 
we'll see what it looks like in the fall. Obviously, Lincoln Riley is talking about how there's still going to be significant changes in the roster. I think he's still going to add some guys up front, uh, and they need to um, because um, because right now that front seven is not top ten caliber. Um, but they played hard and and they were hitting. Um, Tuasiv Nomura had a couple of hits, um, almost back to back. Uh, McCutcheon had a, had a big hit with a bad call, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, so, uh, the guys were playing hard and that was nice. There's some talent there, yeah, but there's not enough, not enough to be where, where we need them to be, but, um, they played hard. I appreciate it. Oh, by the way, uh, the corners did struggle a little bit and, and it's true that Blackman wasn't playing. It's also true that going up, they were going up against some pretty good receivers and a good quarterback and, um, about the head not being turned around as a corner when you're beat by a couple of steps you really can't afford to turn your head around in fact usually you're taught not to because that will slow you down and if you're already two steps behind um uh usually you're taught to keep your eye on the defender try to knock the ball out when you see him raise his hands so i think we saw a lot of that but we didn't see a lot of we didn't see a lot of guys in the secondary who uh, who didn't know what they were supposed to be doing you didn't have guys running down the field clean you just had uh, corners that could not match up with with uh, some pretty good receivers. So, look, I like the effort. I think the defense will be more talented by the fall. It's still not going to be a top 10 defense, I don't think, but it probably will be a top five offense. And that may be good enough to win a lot of games next year. Greg, before you get start, before you get started, Chris, so if, if the offense scores 40 points a game, what's the minimum number of points you, the defense can afford to give up on an average that USC will win every game? Uh, well, there, there's no such thing because it doesn't matter what the averages are if you have one bad offensive performance. Look, there is a, um, there is a formula that people use to project, uh, to project the number of wins and you can, and you can, uh, you can, um, uh, I don't have the formula with me. I've used it sometimes in my articles. But look, if this defense can give up 22, 23, 24 points a game, um, they're going to blow out most of the people they play. And, and they will be in the game with just about everybody, right? Because you're going to be in the game with Notre Dame, which, will, which is going to be good, but not great. And, and they'll be playing at the Coliseum. UCLA is going to be pretty good offensively. But if you're putting up 40 points on them, you're going to be in the game with them. I mean, they're going to be in the game with, with the better teams on the schedule. And they're going to blow out the weaker teams on the schedule if the offense plays the way I think it's going to play and the defense plays hard. Now, whether that, whether that allows you to beat an elite team once you get to a bowl game or if we're extraordinarily lucky the playoff, that's a different story. But, um, you know, you, you play the roster you've got. And, uh, and if the guys are lining up and playing hard and playing physical, that's really all you can ask for. Well, I'll wrap it up by saying uh, I was not shocked that the offense came on fire. We have to put in perspective that um, you've got a quarterback that could be an All-America quarterback if things went right the whole year and the team has a good record. Uh, obviously, Caleb Williams knows everything about that offense by now having played it last year at Oklahoma. So he's going to get plays off quicker than a normal quarterback is going to do. Uh, and I thought that, yeah, at some point I said, yeah, there's no uh, uh, Blackman there at a corner. But, you know, when you can execute plays like they were doing early on the offense, there's not a heck of a lot the defense can do about it. The defense has seen this offense, you know, through 14 previous uh, 
practice. They know they can run the ball. So they have to respect that even at, you know, inside the 10 yard line, they could uh, run the ball. So being just a step late on a guy like Mario Williams, it's over because you just know that uh, Caleb Williams knows exactly where to get it. He knows everything about uh, Williams and it happens. Uh, I liked, uh, you know, Leonard Williams was there, one of the great all-time tackles for USC. He said the player that he liked was number zero on defense. So uh, number zero, I think, is Corey Foreman. So he was impressed. Uh, he's the one who said stuck out to him. Uh, I thought for the most part, it was a pretty good effort. I thought Shane Lee did a workmanlike performance. He had uh, nice tackles. I don't know that he was as dominant as I thought he was going to be, uh, but that may be more the case of the offense being balanced and uh, having to respect one, you know, two parts of the game. Uh, I thought Romello Height was was fine. Uh, you know, to me, the secondary is going to be interesting because when Bryson Shaw comes in from Ohio State that we talked about in the opening uh, of this uh, Inside the Trojans Huddle, what difference is he going to make when he's in the secondary? Uh, and how is that going to affect everybody else? But uh, by and large, I'm not overly concerned about the, the defense. I am concerned about the depth of the defense. But, you know, what we're going to see between now and May 1st, May 1st being, of course, the last day you can transfer without uh, having to go apply with the NCAA for a petition to be eligible next year is going to be fascinating to me. So, uh I, I think the defense will improve as the system goes, but uh, you know, they're going to outscore people to win this. I have little doubt about that. So, all right, let's keep the show moving. Uh, halftime. Now here's your question panel. Given the spring game at the Coliseum was free to the general public and televised live on ESPN uh, at noon, which was Pacific time, of course, three o'clock Eastern time. What was your overall attendance impressions outside of the game itself? So let's start off with Chris. Uh, I'm sure you, you, I think probably watch it. You live in the uh, Texas area. So what was your impressions from watching it on the, on the tube? It sounded like a pretty lively crowd um, and, and not a bad one. I don't know. I think they announced 33,000 as the attendance. I, I don't know what to make of that. I, I thought they lied about the attendance numbers all last year. So I don't know if it's 33 or not. Um, I had predicted 20 and uh, I think McKinney had predicted 20,001. So he was, he was closer this week. Uh, congratulations. Um, I think 33,000 is a pretty good number if that's the real number. I mean, it's, it's spring football in Southern California. Um, you know, Pete was selling out the Coliseum, but he wasn't getting 33,000 to show up to, to spring game. So I think it's a pretty good number. I wasn't disappointed in the slightest. And it sounded like it was a pretty lively crowd that was uh, that was excited to be there. So I think that was a pretty good showing. I, I, I suspect that USC is pretty happy with it. Eric, were you happy with it? Yeah, Chris, with the attendance last year, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Uh, it, it was it, there were a ton of people there. Yes, the USC fans, Los Angeles fans, sports fans do not come out for these events. They don't. Uh, it was striking how many people were there, putting putting people on both sides. Uh, this is, you, you think back about the crowds that were there during Pete Carroll's run, uh, during when Kiffin was there, Sarkeesian, all, all of those. 
I feel like this dwarfed those those crowds. And USC put a big emphasis on getting people out there, getting people in the stands. They wanted it to look good for TV. I thought the crowd was good. Uh, Lincoln Riley is going to play up how good the crowd was and the atmosphere. He he wants it's one of those things where you know you you fake it till you make it. You keep talking about how the good the crowd is, how great USC fans are, and and you want them there. And they're going to believe it. They're going to kind of get pumped up just like the players will when the coach coaches the players to, to play better. He's going to coach the fans to fan better, I guess. Um, but USC fans are, are believing it. And they came out, I think, in numbers. It was a it was a good crowd. I don't know that there were 33 there, but there was there were more than 20. I, I'm sure there were more than 20, which is what, Chris, you and I both kind of kind of said. So it, in terms of just that, in terms of it, it what my guess was going in. I got to say that that they were well over that. So yeah, I, I think USC fans did a great job showing up. It, it's going to get right, and I and I sort of said this um, on social media. It, it'll get laughed at by the Oklahoma fans and the Ohio State fans and the LSU fans and and anybody who wants to kind of you know kick USC while they're down for you know what happened last year. Um, but it but it's not. It's it it was not an embarrassing number at all um, in, in terms of this type of this type of game uh in los angeles with i'm sure sure there was some huge music festival going on the festival books across the street which is no joke in terms of in terms of uh how many people are there and what that does to parking and and the surrounding area uh so to get that many people in the stands i I thought was a a really good showing by usc mark what what did you, you think you were there what yeah, was your no, overall impressions? You walked the stadium, the whole thing. What was your uh, evaluation of it all? To, to the Eric's last point, it, because of the, the book fair, it probably kept fans away from the Coliseum. I know for a fact that people, they, they, they probably left their, their house too late and they was like, you know what, there's just too much traffic. I'm not going. So um, 33, 427 was the number. That's probably been massaged a little bit. But it, that was the largest spring crowd that I can remember uh, going back through the P. Carroll years. Um, and, you know, they're going to make a big enough announcement that, you know, we've been tracking the, this number since the late 90s and putting it out there. You know, let's, let's give it to them because they, they made the effort to make this happen. Um, this, was, this really meant a lot to the people behind the scenes. Um, yeah, you know, Lincoln Riley is the front man and he's going to talk about it. But there was a lot of effort behind the scenes to make this happen. Um, again, because it was on ESPN, you know, to, to make sure that both sides of the Coliseum had fans on it, you know, just those subtle little things, they make a difference. Um, for me, it's a solid A as if we're going to give a letter grade. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I think, was it you, Eric, who said it, or I, it was either you or Scott who said it to me, uh, should we anticipate a sold out Coliseum when Rice comes to town in September? If this is what we're going to get in the spring, because it's so new and the, the energy and the excitement levels up there, why can't you get 77,000 for the first game of the year? You almost got 35,000, allegedly. Yeah, you, I mean, we, we discussed that, and, and I go back to the to basketball, what they were able yeah. to do there. It feels like USC right now, because of the goodwill that they've earned in, in going out and hiring Lincoln Riley and doing some of this stuff, they can almost create their own sellout, I guess. If they want to pick an event and they want to bump attendance for it, they're showing right now that they can do that. They, they can get people out when they put a, a concerted effort in. I, 
it, it feels very much to me like they're going to target that rice game and try to load it up and, and get everybody there. They'll figure out a way, you know, to, to get high school kids there and, and recruits and all that, give them out, you know, give tickets out. I don't think they'll have to go to what UCLA sometimes has to go to where they're just dropping them from helicopters to anybody who wants to pick them up and go for free. Uh, but, but I do, th- I, it feels like they're going to target that and they, they're going to want a big, a big crowd, big atmosphere uh, for that season opener. And, and they were able to pump up because again, it was it 33, probably not. Was it more than anybody I think was, was probably guessing was going to be there. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, th- I think they've shown that they can do that with the crowd. They want to sell the Coliseum out real easy. You have Reggie Bush lead the team out and he's carrying his Heisman. You promote that, you will have people standing outside looking to buy tickets above face value. Get another it. jersey, another jersey at the Peristyle line. There you go. That's all I got. You guys are getting, oh, I, you know what you just did. Greg's now going to have to go off on this subject and I don't want to have to hear it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to duck out for the next few I minutes. hear OJ's available also. <laughs> Greg's going to create a new quarter to break into where he gets his, his musings to talk about Reggie. You know, that, what Chris just did was prevent me from getting off on this subject. So you I'm should not take gonna, one I'm for not, the team, I'm not going to go there. Uh, I, I, I have no problem if Bush wants to come out and, and Mark wants to, you know, uh, froth from his mouth in excitement. It's fine with me. We're talking uh, about selling out the Coliseum, Greg. Take yeah, well, one they're not, let me tell you, Mark, they're not coming to the Coliseum to see Reggie Bush in a civilian uniform run out on the field waving a number one finger now maybe if he was in uniform number five we i could get into it but uh, let's just say that i was the closest to the actual attendance now you went over you went over but i was still the closest no 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 we're not gonna i'm not letting you slide on that one dude look hold on hold on you're gonna get your point during the uh lighting of the torch i'm afraid you're gonna switch subjects now but the coliseum holds 77 500 okay if you divided 77 500 in half okay and then i don't think there was uh 33,427 but i agree with you guys where you say look it was better than 20,000 which was great sunny day in southern california la is a horizontal community people aren't going to drive in for an exhibition game but that doesn't mean they didn't watch it on television I think it was a win-win. If you watched it on TV, I watched it on TV. Chris watched it on TV. I wanted to watch it on TV because I wanted to see how they were going to fill those two hours and what they were going to see about USC. I have no doubt there was a specific audience that SC wanted to see that scrimmage. Uh, You know that if 200 recruits that they're going after, whether it's the class of next year or the year after, they had to be watching. And it was two hours of the greatest infomercial you could possibly have. Uh, Herb Street wasn't there, but Robert Griffin III was. Both he and Joey Galloway were effusive in their praise for USC. I thought Matt Berry did a good job on the call. It was just, you, you couldn't ask for anything better than that. So SC also did a great job of positioning people in the Coliseum to give the perception uh, of filled sidelines from 20 to 20. Okay. There wasn't too many behind the end zone, extra point type of deals where you get a real look at it. I thought that the, um, the crowd was into it from what I could tell. Uh, but you know, down the line, uh, I'll wrap it up with this. 
is there going to be a sellout for Rice? I thought there was a possibility when Lincoln Riley was named and Caleb Williams was in the conversation of whether he's coming or he's going. There was enough information live and on television that people are going to be fired up. I don't care if they were playing Cal State LA to open the game, the season. It doesn't matter whether it's the Rice Owls or it's UC Davis. It doesn't matter. People are excited to see Caleb Williams, that offense. Lincoln Riley knows what he's doing. If they kick off at an appropriate time, uh, people will, are going to come. And SC's going to make the big effort, like all of you said, to fill the Coliseum. It's really conceivable now more than ever that that's a real possibility. Personally, I hope they do it. I hope it's, it looks like a playoff game. People are going to be fired up about it. I'm already fired up about it because I think that what I saw on television was like, my goodness, people pay millions of dollars to rent out time on TV and ESPN put them right there at the three o'clock East coast time slot that they'd love during the regular season. So it was all good. That's, uh, that's how I looked at it. And uh, we won't talk anything about Reggie Bush. All right, let's get to the third quarter. But before we start in the second half, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to remind everybody you're listening or watching WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle. Uh, this week's panelists are Mark Culkin, Chris Arledge, Eric McKenney, and I'm Greg Katz. Uh, we also encourage you to check out WeRSC.com, part of the On3 network, and become a subscriber to the best coverage of USC football and Trojans athletics. And as a bonus for the curious, there is currently a special spring practice. We are SC seven-day free trial, including monthly or yearly discount options to view our exclusive content on On3, which also includes analysis, breaking stories, and data for USC football, basketball, and the balance of USC athletics. So, third quarter. Panel, we kick off the second half of third quarter with this. Uh after watching or seeing the spring game, what additions or subtractions would you make for next year's spring game? Mark, uh, any, any thoughts on that? I don't know if you can really add to anything. I, I, like we talked about this already. I think the way they planned it with the 30 minutes of, you know, actual game, the crowd got to see how they're going to warm up pregame. Um, it, the two hours felt filled and it went by pretty quickly. So, um, I don't know, maybe a little bit more of their pregame entrance would have been nice. Um, it, you know, you heard the Eminem lose yourself when they were on the field waiting for the kickoff. If that's going to be how they, you know, incorporate it this year, I'm good with that, but I would prefer it with the team running out of the tunnel, I guess, but that was nice. So overall, Great. I don't know if I would add or subtract anything. Chris, what, what would you add or subtract? Or is it just good the way it was? Well, it was good the way it was. There, there are two things that I would like to see. One is I would like to see uh, USC honor Reggie Bush on the field. Um, and then number two. <laughs> I'm so mad that you got to go before me. <laughs> <laughs> number two, I'd like to see about three additional five-star defensive linemen on the field. If I could get those two things, I'd be very happy, but no, I thought they, I thought they did a good job with it. And, um, uh, and, and I was pleased. Eric, you were there. How, Eric, how early did you get there for the, uh, for this festivities? I, I didn't get there. Um, 
too early. I, I was there. Um, I don't. I don't know what time it was. Ten thirty, something like that. Where the you know started. They started kind of going at eleven or so, and then game started at noon. Um, so again, once you got past kind of the the traffic around the stadium, it, it was easy to get in and out. But I, I thought the 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 gameplay, all that kind of stuff, it, it's what was expected, and and I thought it was good. The crowd was good. I liked the the t-shirt idea, putting them out there um was good the food trucks all of that kind of stuff i liked uh they you got some fans down on the field you know catching punts and kicking field goals and the race <laughs> the race with taj washington who does not care about your kids he's gonna beat those kids in, in a 40 yard dash um i don't think anybody caught a punt either eric so what's no, one the guy the guy who won caught one punt the other two none uh I'd like to, so you had um, you know in the in the Trojan tailgate you've got Sean Cody and you've got uh, Sue Cravens and Matt Liner came back so you, you've already got kind of a, a collection of former players that that mean something to USC fans there Leonard Williams was there uh, we saw uh, Tony Burnett was there Scott Felix was there so so you had some guys I, I'd love to go back a little bit farther and and bring some you know, USC legends. And if, if it's guys that played in the last five years, 10 years, that's great. I think you can go back and, and bring guys from, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, some of that and, and get some of those in when it's televised. It's hard. Who do you, who do you pick to do interviews with? Where do you put them there? Do you, do you not let people do the catch a punt thing and, and introduce them there? Um, I, I thought you could maybe, maybe organize something with that a little bit better. I, I think when the fans flock down on the field and, and players, Mark, you, you mentioned it too. Players stayed for a long time to sign autographs yeah. afterward. They, they, they made sure anybody who wanted one um, got one. I, I'd love to see, you know, you, you've got, you've got guys from uh, previous teams down there to sign autographs. I, I think USC fans, USC fans, you know, you, you've got a handful of, of colleges of football programs, where their fans connect with guys from 20 years ago, from 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, I think USC could take maybe more advantage of that. And, and maybe I just missed them, you know, so, some of those guys uh, that were there. But USC has done a, such a good job, and that, that's the administration, and that's Lincoln Riley as well. You know, Ronnie Lott has come back to talk. Mark Sanchez is there a lot. Matt Leinert's there. They, they, they have done a good job bringing those guys back. Anthony Munoz uh, is, is a guy that came back this, this spring. Uh, they've done a good job bringing those guys back into the program and, and making sure they're connected. I, I think there's probably potentially a, a spring game, you know, spot for, for some of those guys. You know, I was going to ask you uh, after the game, where did they actually do the autographing? Was it on the field Were they, how, you know, one of the things but I fans saw fans came down, fans came down, um, it was, I think they were doing it in the peristyle. And they, they came down and then shuffled them. Yeah. Down that way. And then, and then the players came back um, through the field, but I think previously they, they last year, they had them up right at like a in under the peristyle, I think signing right there and, and, and fans came along there. But as we were coming down to the field, the, the fans were lining up on the field. And, and so I think they, they came down on the field and then, um, you know, stayed around where, where the track was like ar around the dirt um, part of it to go up toward the peristyle. The funniest line came from the PA announcer was, please do not take the field of play home with you. And they literally made that announcement. It's like, leave it there. Don't pick up the grass. I, I think you make a good point. You know, maybe in the future, they have the team signing on one side and maybe get a group of alumni that are, you know, pretty much well-known and have on the other side, like 
Anthony Munoz signing and Ronnie Lott. Uh, I know that these guys like to get paid for doing it, but you know, Len Swan signed autographs. Yeah, you know, if they want to really help the, the the program, so to speak, you know, just is Chris going to be able to control them? Am I the, well, I don't know. Am I the only one that caught the Lynn Swan will sign no. autographs? Man? I was I was laugh coughing. I had to mute it. <laughs> I tried to leave the Swanee. Uh, I I won't do it for free, cats. So don't even go there. Uh, comment. Uh, but no, I think if they had maybe 10 or 11, uh, you know, legendary Trojans signing, uh, not only does that bring the fans together, it teaches the younger ones about the, the players that came before that are legends they may have heard of. I think it, it's a situation where, you know, one of the things I did like, uh, they showed um, Caleb Williams running down this huge line on the field of people, looked like after the game, and he was high-fiving everybody. And I thought that was so classy. I, I said to myself, this guy is too good to be true because everyone that saw him do that, that could get up close and personal and just to see him, because he's going to be bigger than what, it, what you can believe, especially by the end of la next year. Uh, it could be the Heisman Trophy winner, who knows. But what a great PR move for him to do that. Uh, and that's the type of stuff that if you're going to bring SC football back from the depths of abyss, uh, and apathy. This is this was to me it was perfect. So kudos to uh, all of those people. And maybe next next year we can have an alumni table of, of guys signing, which I think would just even add more to the uh, ambiance uh, when it was over. So hey, how about a how about a Pat Hayden dunk tank? That would be <laughs> that would be great as a fundraiser too. And maybe we could have uh, some of USC's most successful businessmen just on the field passing out cash to high school players. You know. I mean, every every high school player that wants to go just signs an NIL agreement for the day, and and we just pass out cash. That's it. You're great. Maybe. What's that, Chris? Chris is for those of you that don't know. Chris is, war, Chris is just this is warm ups and stretching for Chris uh, to present his uh, musings with Arledge coming up momentarily. So, are you warmed up, Chris? No, I, look, I'm 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 actually in a good mood. I'm gonna. It's gonna turn dark in a second, but right now I'm happy. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking we could have a a Clay Helton impersonation contest where people get to get to line up and make that surprise look on their face and then utter the best Clay Heltonisms, like a, like warriors or situational mastery, something like that, and we could take a vote of a winner. I mean, you, I should think we, know, you should know that Georgia Southern held their spring game this weekend. And I don't know why I'm getting his tweets, but he was so appreciative of the big turnout that, that showed up, I think, at Paulson Stadium or whatever. And, you know, he was just euphoric in his praise. And I said, boy, I tell you, what a world apart we are in now. So let's move on here. Wait, Greg, uh, I, I want to I want to jump one thing. You mentioned Caleb Williams. The, this kid was born for this. That the LA, the spotlight, he he took a, you know, he jumps up on the wall, takes a picture with the, the student section over there after that spring game. Uh, he makes sure anytime the the uh, marching band is out there, he's talking to all of them, pointing them out, thanking them for being there. He he understands. It, it was like it must have been a crash course for him on what's important at USC and what do you need to do as the quarterback? Because he is picking up on on all of it. And and like you mentioned, he's finding time to do all that stuff and it's important to him. So he, he's absolutely embraced everything that comes with what's expected of him at USC. Righto, righto. All right. It's time for the fourth quarter, but as tradition has it here on Inside the Trojan Subtle, 
we do the lighting of the symbolic Chris Arledge Coliseum torch. It's almost dead, look at it. <laughs> Please get a new candle. Please. Well, if you're a good boy, I might consider it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> all right. In lieu of the fact, of course, that uh, we don't have the William Tell Overture, the marching band, we are proud to present to all of you watching or viewing uh, the Huddles version of Musings with Arledge, with the great Chris Arledge. Chris, it's all yours. Thank you, Greg. Can I speak directly to Pac-12 officials for just a second? At least the few of you who aren't institutionalized are able to watch YouTube. Last week on this program, I complained about the job you guys do. Now, you probably didn't notice because everybody complains about you all the time. And so it probably didn't hit your radar. But I complained specifically about the way you guys call targeting penalties. And so what happened Saturday? The trauma McCutcheon makes a great, ba uh, great break on a ball, puts his shoulder into the receiver's chest, dislodges the ball, makes a great football play. He should have been celebrated, applauded. Everybody should have, uh, should have patted him on the, on the head. And you guys throw a flag, right? Of course you do. You throw a flag because it was a hard hit. And hard hits always draw flags from Pac-12 officials. Now, listen. I'm not asking for competence from you guys. I'm really not. I know better. I'm not going to ask for something that makes absolutely no sense. And asking for competence would make absolutely no sense. It would make more sense for me to marshal all my assets and put them on one spin of the roulette wheel than it would be to ask for, uh, for you guys to be competent. At least with the roulette wheel, theoretically, a good outcome is possible. I'm just asking you guys to apply the targeting rule the way it's supposed to be for actual hits to the head and hits using the crown of the head. Stop penalizing guys for making great plays. Stop trying to remove physicality from the game. The only person who's removed physicality from the game more than you guys is Clay Helton. I'm not asking you to be great. You don't have to be great. Just stop being terrible. That's my request. You might say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Signed all Pac-12 football fans. All right. Excellent note. You made Mark's day. I'm sure you made a lot of people's day that's watching or listening. That is the Musings with Arledge. We hope you get a chance to read his column whenever it comes out next. <laughs> Nothing like putting a little pressure on the on the on the great one so uh let's move on here uh we begin the fourth quarter the nfl draft begins this thursday night from las vegas and runs through saturday for players from usc that we know are in the draft wide receiver drake london running backs keontae ingram and favai malapai corners chris Steele, isaac taylor curtis inside linebacker can i amalga offensive lineman jalen mckenzie and and liam jimmins Defensive end, Drake Jackson, of course, and tight end, Eric Homanhoke. Guys, who's going high? Who's going to be in trouble? Eric, give us an overview. Well, first of all, Chris, do we is Isaac Taylor Curtis? Is he a, a silent film star? Do we do we know uh, where, where he's? It's Mozik's cousin. Okay. Um, so here, here's 
my my feeling drake london is going in the first round absolutely i'm i'm a little concerned in terms of is he the first wide receiver off the board just because he didn't run a 40 and and the nfl loves tangible evidence i guess of, of what they can prove in in terms of speed I, I think that's going to be an interesting discussion i would I would take him, put him on my team, and and go from there. Um, he, he's kind of a no-brainer for me. I think Drake Jackson ends up going maybe a little higher than than people think. I, I think he's a guy that um, when you sort of try to balance the defense he played in and what he was asked to do and everything that he had to go through, when, when you just look at specific film of pass rush moves and wins and, and what he is able to do there, athletically i think a lot of people are really going to like him i think keontae ingram ends up probably being a, a mid-round pick fourth fourth round fifth round and and i really think that might be it i i think you know I, i've come to grips over the last few years with the fact that usc players do not get the benefit of the doubt anymore from nfl people like they did when Pete carroll was here you always knew Someone's taken some USC guy in the seventh round, in the sixth round, just because let's get him on our team and, and see. We know he's been coached well, and, and we know that he's a football player and, and he's going to produce something. It feels like it's been a while since USC players have gotten that benefit of the doubt. I could see maybe Chris Steele uh, going late. I, I think Jalen McKenzie's probably done a lot this offseason to improve uh, his draft stock and obviously – his dad has the NFL connections and, and Jalen's been kind of, you know, going that way and, and understanding what it takes to be a pro uh, for a long time. But no, I'll, I'll say three and, and be present, pleasantly surprised uh, if it goes more than that for USC. What do you think, Culkin? Is it going to go three or yeah, more? I, yeah, no, I think Eric hit that number square on the head. And, you know, I guess the only place I disagree is maybe Ingram slides down to maybe a last day pick. Uh, I don't know if the, just the running back just isn't valued in the NFL. And because of that, you know what, you got a value pick and you don't have to spend a lot of money on it. Um, Drake London is definitely going to be day one. Drake Jackson is probably and should be day two. And after that, you know what, if a team sees a need and they like, you know, some of those USC players that are probably going to be free agent signings like a Chris Steele, um, yeah, they might slide in there, sixth, seventh round, fifth, sixth round, somewhere in there. Um, I don't know if it, do they still do the, you know, Mr. Irrelevant? Is that still going on? To my knowledge, it is. Okay. Maybe USC takes home that award this year. It would seem apropos. All just right, Chris. End, just to end the Clay Helton era. All right, Chris, what do, you, what do you see? No, I, I look, I think that's right. I, I, it wouldn't shock me if somebody else snuck into uh, in, into the uh, very late rounds. Chris Steele would probably be the most likely one. Um, I don't think Keontae Ingram's going to the mid rounds. I think he's probably a late round choice. Although I think he's a good player, and I think he'll stick on a roster. Uh, Drake London, the superstar. Uh, I don't know what to make of uh, of. Um, <coughs> I don't know what to make of Drake Jackson. Um, his production in college was only so-so. Um, I think that there are a lot of uh, people we could blame for that. But, um, but I think the NFL is going to be enamored by his size and athleticism. He tested really well. 
So he's a guy who could sneak into the first round. Everybody needs a pass rusher. And, um, and it may be that there's some teams that think that a guy with his ability can be coached up. Uh, but I think that's probably it. And look, it's true that USC guys aren't getting the benefit of the doubt, but um, four and eight teams don't get the benefit of the doubt like that. So uh, I think the other guys are going to have a hard time sticking uh, on a roster. Although I'd love to see Kanai Maoga do it uh, maybe as a special teams guy who will, uh, uh, you know, who will give up his body running down, covering kicks and the like, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think uh, the guy's got it right. All right. Taylor Stewart Curtis might, you know, because of his intangibles, you know, big, fast, he'll, he'll be intriguing. I'm sorry, Greg, go ahead. No problem. Uh, I'll wrap this part up by saying uh, London will be a, a top 10 pick. Uh, if it's the Jets, they certainly like USC players, no doubt about that. Uh, I don't know what to make of Drake Jackson. I don't know whether it's poor coaching, whether it's the kid, a combination of both. But he's, to me, a person that you really want to watch to see what the NFL thinks of whether he's a high pick draft worthy. Uh, I think Chris Steele slides. I think that there's a lot of things about him that you could say, as Mark would say, uh, the intangibles. Uh, I'm not a, uh, uh, let's put it this way. I don't think he lived up to the billing coming out of high school, in my opinion. I hope he gets a pick tie. Good for him. I think the, uh, the, the uh, wild card to me, you'll probably all go, really? Uh, 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 Fabai Malapai. I think this guy has, in the time that he's shown, he's an all-around back. Again, as he gets picked by the right team, he's a guy that could be on a special teams. I think he's a team player, give you everything he has. And he runs hard, which the NFL likes. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for him. Because I felt that if he had came along in the Pete Carroll era, he could have been a Stanley Havili, uh, in my opinion. So uh, what I will say in conclusion of this, uh, good luck to all of them. Uh, I hope you all get drafted and that you can have a career in the NFL, whether it be for a year, two, or six. But uh, I'll be rooting for you personally. So, all right, we get to the uh, overtime period. Uh, we've got some questions. Uh, from the uh, listeners from all over the place. Uh, if you'd like to submit a question that we can answer or give you our opinion, just go to either the, excuse me, Gary P or we are SC uh, members message board at wearesc.com. From there, you'll see the topic thread regarding questions for inside the Trojans huddle. All right, first question. This is from uh, Dr. Bert Iwata from Altadena, California. Maybe there should be a different measurement for player penalties in a game. Have you ever thought of doing what they do in hockey and penalize a player minutes, depending on the offense? For example, if a player is caught targeting, he goes off the field for a major penalty of maybe 15 minutes is replaced by another player. Does the panel think that minutes off the field would cut down penalties on it? Guys, who wants to go for this one? It's all you. Well, usually coaches take care of that. And if a guy's committing penalties, they'll take him off the field uh, with the, you know, with the intent of reducing penalties. I don't know that I'm excited about, about that rule change. I mean, the last thing I want is for PAC 12 officials to be in charge of which USC starters are allowed to be on the field. I mean, can you imagine the damage those clowns could do? So I don't want that, but um, you know, I would like to see a coach that actually takes players off the field for, bonehead penalties late hits and the like that would be a nice change i suspect we will see that and you, you do need to fix that targeting 
rule, how it's penalized and, and that stuff. I mean, let, you know, w- when they're ejected, when you can take the penalty away, if, if there are different levels of that. But again, like you said, put, putting more decisions in the hands of officials who clearly already have too much to, to deal with is a, that's a tough proposal. You know what I think they ought to do? They ought to do what they do in hockey. You get a player removed, and it's like a power play. So you can have 11 on offense against 10 on defense and watch how they scramble. Then quarterbacks can sit there and they can uh, run the clock down to try to kill penalty time for their teammate that's on the on the sidelines. Uh, we watched like thank you for making Chris's point for him even better. Thank you. Uh, I, we we I, watched I, that I'm last actually week. humble that I could make a point that's better than Chris, especially coming from you, Culkin, because we know you didn't say point. better. He didn't say you'd make no. a point better than you me. just supported Chris's point. Better than anybody could have. And you know what? You fell for that perfectly. <laughs> Mark is, by the way, the president of the Chris Arledge fan club. Uh, he will be back. He and I have a newsletter. very similar. Yes. Okay. Sarcasm is good. Question number two from Trojan Sage. Hi, guys. USC has been very quiet on the transfer portal since Caleb committed. I'm not sure if we're missing on guys available or the staff has been very focused on the spring. Ochan Mathis will announce at the end of the month. Still no visit to USC. Dermoni and Robinson of Penn State. I've heard that Hakeem Mesador is high on Miami and will not likely visit USC anymore. Those are the top rush ends we needed badly. Are the staff content with height and foreman? Is Solo really showing off to really not to pursue other uh, elite rush ends uh, in the portal? Or are we waiting for more transfers after the spring game is done? Go for it, guys. More are coming. Yeah, they're, they're waiting for more transfers at all times. The yeah. transfer portal is a, a constant presence in college football now. And the idea that, that what it looks like now is what it's going to look like tomorrow or next week or next month or whatever is, is not. There, there's guys flooding into it uh, to, as we're recording this today on Monday. The rest of this week, there's going to be guys all over it. And, and yeah, USC is recruiting at every Every single position, uh, they're they're targeting people in the transfer portal or are ready to pounce when people come in. And and Lincoln Riley said that also all spring. They are not set. They don't feel set completely at any position. They don't feel like it, it's you know alarms blaring and and everything's wrong at any spots. But yeah, like like Mark said, more, more are coming. More are coming everywhere. Grinch said it right after the game. They, they are going to look at any player possible. And they're going to leave it up to the team, though. If they have a leadership council, Eric, they, those are the guys who vet the players. Mm-hmm. Will they fit the culture? So they're just not going to bring somebody in. If, if somebody gives you know the thumbs down, it's you know, they're out. So When it comes to the, the, uh, the, uh, the edge rushers mentioned in the question, and you're talking about a couple of guys who are East Coast guys and are probably going to stay on the East Coast. That's not a shock. Um, it might be more surprising for an East Coast guy to run to USC so they can compete with Romello Hyde and Corey Foreman because there's no guarantee that you're going to beat those guys out. I mean, we haven't seen much. We haven't seen much on the field from either one of them yet. But you're talking about two guys that have a ton of talent. And, and so, yeah, I suspect there aren't a lot of guys who are interested in coming across the country to, uh, to go compete with, uh, with those two guys for playing time. And uh, not so at all. Yeah. All right. Uh, last quick question uh, from Big Daddy. 
while not exactly NIL related, but NIL inspired, how active are assistant coaches on securing a secondary income stream? What kind of guidelines does the NCAA have for this? I would sure appreciate someone like Josh Henson to stabilize that position group with some long-term success, both on and off the field in the pipeline. Any comments? Technically, USC can have nothing to do with NIL. Technically, the school cannot, cannot you know, uh, associate with that and, and get anybody set up. What the decision has been throughout college football is just to, I don't know, not care about what the, the laws are. And so you've got this kind of you have this absolute gray area with what NIL was supposed to be, which is a guy like Caleb Williams talking to a company like Beats by Dre and coming up with a way where he can do things to promote the company. And in turn, he can get paid in whatever with, with, you know, from that company. What you have now are these collectives that schools across the country have where boosters just funnel money into a giant i mean it it's the cartoon sack with the dollar sign on it and from <laughs> that the players get to just reach their hand and recruits players whatever it is and it's you can have this money from this collective and some of them try to attach oh you need to do an autograph signing here and we'll give you twenty thousand dollars to do an autograph signing or or you know, the, the big one that got a lot of attention was uh, from Texas. I think it's Horn, Horns with Heart was where it started. And, and it's a, for Texas offensive linemen, they can make up to $50,000 a year by doing some charity appearances and, and that sort of thing. Technically, that flies in the face of what you're allowed because NIL is not just Texas offensive linemen. It's someone's specific name, image, likeness. So again, Everyone has just decided that whatever rules there are don't matter. That being said, in for this situation, the USC assistant coaches are very much showing and telling, I guess, recruits, hey, this is this is what kids at what student athletes at USC can get. This this is what has been achieved by some of these players. Is that is that establishing things for them and doing it for them no it's showing them hey th this is what's on the table for you potentially to come here and yes usc has been very good and and very open and honest with with recruits and with transfers and with players and all of that of what's on the table for you in terms of nil what you can accomplish financially by coming to USC, but the idea that a coach is sitting there with a company and the player and saying, okay, you're going to give him this much if he comes here and, and that sort of thing. No, that, that kind of stuff is, is you, I mean, USC does well in terms of compliance and kind of following what the law should be and, and also figuring out how to take advantage of being on in Los Angeles and, and being a leader in as they should be in NIL. USC is still reading chapter one of NIL. Oklahoma has already gone to the back of the, you know, the last page and said, if you're on scholarship, you get $50,000 a year. So somewhere between USC, who is interpreting what NIL is supposed to be, and what Oklahoma is saying, this is what NIL is, that's where we're at right now. You know, can the coaches do something? I, who's going to tell them no? USC? 
what's going to happen? The court's already said you can't tell them no. So go do it. <laughs> right. Again, if, if you wanted to just say, look, this is what's going on and we're diving in. Yeah, that that would take it to a different level, I think, of, of in terms of what USC is doing right now. That it, it feels like they're really trying to follow kind of letter of the law and, and what it was supposed to be when it was in. And I do think eventually we're going to see it kind of correct back to that, how long that'll take. And, and if it actually happens is, right. is very much in the air. But yeah, schools have just decided, no, NIL means you get paid for being here. <laughs> so some schools have just dived straight into that. All right. Are we good guys? All right. Well, that's a wrap for this edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle. Big thank you to this week's panel of Mark Culkin, Chris Arledge, and Eric McKinney. And a special thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Subtle. Until next Tuesday, this is your host, Greg Katz, reminding all of you to fight on, everybody.